Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Great. Awesome. So Christmas is over. The stress of all that is now past. <laughs> um, any guys get to travel this past Christmas? Yeah? Awesome. I just got back from North Carolina, and uh, it was super refreshing, but an eight-hour trip driving in a truck with a dog is not the most ideal, <laughs> um, but it was a fun time. I got to see family and my nieces, and um, it, was a, it was a good time. So I'm glad that you guys got to be able to celebrate Christmas. I hope you guys had a, a really good one, a really refreshing time. Um, if for those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh, one of the teaching pastors here at the District Church, um, and who is like me this morning can't believe that in two days it's going to be 2019? Like, that's crazy, right? Like, I, I still feel like it's the beginning of 2018. Um, I don't really know where this year went. But last year, I was, I was talking about that this, this morning. Last year at this time, we were trying to get a uh, trailer to get open. Um, for those of us who remember, we were in the theater, right, last year at this time, and we would take a trailer every week to come and set up and do all this every single week. Well, last year, as we pulled up to the mall, which is where we were meeting in the movie theater, um, we found that the trailer lock had frozen. And so when we went in the morning to open that lock up, the key snapped in it. And so we were like, well, this is going to be an interesting morning. Um, so what Jordan ended up doing was he was able to actually get in uh, the trailer from a side door and kind of climb over a bunch of stuff. So he grabbed a couple of these uh, mic stands and these music stands, um, and we just had a stripped-down service, even more stripped-down than this, uh, just because that's what the Lord saw fit that morning. <laughs> so it's been cool just to see God um, work throughout this past year, right, and bring us from the movie theater to here uh, and just kind of bless us with relationships, bless us with uh, a space where we can kind of call our own right now um, and just praise him in it. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for this morning. Um, typically, and this has been the last three years for us, I've got to preach this sermon. Um, so I, I love to kind of get up here and, and kind of cast a, a vision for 2019 um, or a, a word from the Lord or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, looking at some goals and resolutions, things that we typically find in this part of the year. Um, and, and I want to do something a little bit different. I do love this time of the year, uh, but for us as a church, I want to do something a little bit different than just setting some goals, right? Um, just for the year itself. What we're going to be talking about this morning is what I've kind of termed as and what's kind of been on my heart this last couple of months is legacies, Right? I want to talk about how we can begin to build a legacy of faithfulness, not just for 2019, but for future generations. Right? So the, the kids that we have over here grow up in a church surrounded by men and women who are faithful to the Lord. That the stories that they tell their kids are the stories of men and women who God has placed around them, who love him, who love them, love the community, love the Bible, love to get into prayer. Um, and I believe that for us, we can start laying that foundation now. Laying the foundation now for generations to come of faithfulness to the Lord. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning is kind of a, a legacy and how we can be, as I've titled, legacy creators. So we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 10. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up there. Um, as we're kind of getting there, 
I just kind of want to lay out the next couple of weeks for us. Uh, today is going to be a standalone sermon looking at like how we can create this legacy through um, pressing into the Lord, through uh, learning to be content, as well as um, embracing what I would call the ordinary. But as we embrace the ordinary, we want to plead for the extraordinary in our lives. And then next month, we're going to be jumping into what we call epiphany. And if you're familiar with what Epiphany is uh, through the church liturgical calendar, it's a celebration of the manifestation of Christ, right? We've celebrated, we've celebrated Advent these last couple of weeks. Uh, now we celebrate the, the coming of Christ, him manifesting himself in flesh um, and coming in, and living the life that we could never live in order for us as he went to the cross to receive that righteousness that he, he gives. And so we're going to be celebrating that in the next couple of weeks. Um, and what we've kind of taken a look at is how Christ, being the light of the world, comes into a dark and dying place and shines that light. And how, as 1 Peter 2 would tell us, we've received that marvelous light and how we are supposed to go back into that dark and dying world with that same light. And so I'm excited for the next couple of weeks. I saw the artwork Jenny did. It is awesome. Like, y'all, it's It's crazy. Um, whenever Dwayne and I get an email and we're like, oh, we don't want to change anything about the artwork, for us it's a good thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you guys will see that in the next coming weeks. I'm super excited what we're about to do and jumping into some of the, the titles and topics that we'll be talking about. We're going to be looking at some difficult things, I'll be honest with you. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at how the light of the gospel infiltrates the darkness of uh, race and racial reconciliation, how it, in, how it invades the sanctity of life, right? And, and when we say sanctity of life, it's not just about babies, but from the early childhood, early on birth in the womb, all the way to death, we're going to look at how being made in the image of God is important and is how we should view things through the lens of that truth. So we're going to be talking about things like that. So um, if you like difficult topics, Make sure that the next couple of weeks are ones you put on your calendar, but it's going to be something that we're going to be walking through uh, and, and looking how God calls us to share light in a dark and dying world. So um, we're here in Philippians chapter 4. Let me go ahead and read this passage, and then we'll jump right into what we're going to be looking at this morning. Starting in verse 10, Paul says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, so let's go, to, let's go to the Lord and ask him to just bless this time and teach us more about himself. Lord, thank you for your great grace. Thank you as we sang the truths today that we are who you say we are, Lord. That as children of the High King, the Most High, Lord, that you see us as sons and daughters. Lord, you see us as you see Christ, a good and faithful servant. And as Zephaniah, we, re we read this morning, you, you sing over us. You delight in us. And oftentimes, Lord, we are so easy to run to that you are frustrated with us. You've pulled back from us, and, and yet this is not what the Word says about how you view your children. And so, Lord, let that truth ring in our hearts 
Let it bring hope and joy this morning and comfort and peace. Thank you for that great grace. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, a question for you guys. Um, how many of you love this time of year? And, and specifically, not just the Christmas time, but more of like the New Year's setting. How many of you love to just kind of look at your last year, right, and then the resolutions you might have made, and then prepare for the, year, the next year coming up? Anybody like doing that? It's okay. I'm like that. So don't feel awkward. Most of us, I guess, don't like that. Is it because you look at the year before and you're like, man, I've failed so much? All right. I mean, I, I do too. I'll look at 2018's resolutions today and I'll be like, well, definitely failed 75% of these things. So we're going to have to just switch some things up. But I, I, I enjoy that. It's the way that God has wired me in looking at the next year. And like I said earlier, what we're going to try to do is something different. I want to I implant in something in you that is different than just goal setting for a year, six months, time out. What I want to do is I want to lay foundations for generations to come. I want to help us create habits that are going to f- be formed for us to not just reach a goal in 2019, but to reach goals in 10 years. 20 years. When we're 60 and 70 and 80 years old, we can look back and see the fruit of faithfulness in the Lord. So that's what I want to kind of do this morning. In taking a look from this passage, I want to take a look at how we can begin to have those legacies of faithfulness within this church. And so the first thing, and it might have already stuck out to you, um, but in verse 11, which is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, one of the things that we can do to lay that foundation is to learn contentment. Learn contentment. Now, what do you guys think of when you hear contentment? Is there anything that comes to mind? Anything that rings a bell? Any imagery that comes up? Anybody? No? That's all right. So when I think of contentment, I think of like a steady hand, right? Or somebody who can stand in the face of a storm and still be content, still be who they are, steadfast, right? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the storm that comes and the house that is built on the rock and then the house that's built on the sand. And the one that's built on the rock stands because of what it's built on, because of what the foundation it has. That's, to me, contentment. Or in Psalm 1, where David talks about the blessed man who meditates on the law of the Lord and delights in it day and night, He's like a tree planted by streams of water. To me, contentment looks like a tree planted deep within a water, a water stream, that, that good source of life. Or Proverbs 31. I, I love the, the, the imagery that Solomon writes about when he talks about Psalm 31, that the woman here has strength and dignity, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness is on her tongue. This is, this is the imagery that scripture reveals of men and women who are blessed and who are content in the Lord. And so this is the first layer or that first foundation of how we can begin to build a legacy of faithfulness is to learn contentment. I'm not going to say that's easy, right? Nobody likes to walk through storms. Nobody likes to walk through things that are going to stretch them. But in, as Hebrews would tell us, in this discipline that God gives us, it's because he loves us and he wants to grow us into the image of Christ. 
If we jump back over to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says this, that he who began a good work is going to be faithful to bring it to completion on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the promise that we have, that God is making us into the image of Christ in different circumstances, different situations, and this is how we can begin to learn contentment is trusting him in those, in those times. Now, what I want to kind of bring this up to you as well, that when I talk about legacy, right, when I'm talking about legacy here is not just an individual or a church-wide, we want to have our names written in lights. Like, we're not searching for our church to be the biggest church in Indianapolis, the, the most famed one. I'm not wanting to be the, the, the most named person here in this city. But what we're talking about here is a, a legacy of faithfulness. A legacy of faithfulness that extends not just to the here and now, but a legacy that extends to our children's children's children. Right, Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And so leaving an inheritance for our kids, our grandkids, our families to come isn't just about financial inheritance, but it's about faithful, spiritual, emotional, a healthy inheritance that we would leave to our kids. That they have examples of men and women within their lives who are faithful who love their spouses, who love their jobs, who love their community, who love their word, who love to be in prayer and to worship the God who has saved them. And then when we start to see this mindset, right, when we start to pursue this down-the-road view of our lives, we start to see that it's not just about the here and now. And it's not just about our individual family. So you might have picked up on this, like, I'm single, right? And I'm talking about legacy and family. And my prayer is that God would bring that to me. And that's a whole other topic that we can talk about later on. But when I talk about legacy for me, it's not just my family. It's the family of God. It's those parents in here, your kids, and, and their kids' kids. We did a baby dedication a couple weeks ago, and it's, it's things like that when you look at grandparents that are coming and the legacies that they've built. It's laying the foundation for families here in this church, understanding, as 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 say, that our lives are not our own, but our gifts and our talents and the resources that God has given us, he's given to us in order to bless one another, to build one another up in Christ. And so that includes the family of God. That includes every one of us in here as well as the people who call this church home. And so when we talk about legacy building, we're talking about the family of God and the people that he has placed around us. This is what I mean when we talk about legacy building. But I think one of the things that we kind of run into, right, that, we, that rails against this idea of legacy building, this idea of being content with what we have, is Consumerism, right? Consumerism. How often do we wait for the new iPhone to come out? If you're not an iPhone person, I'm sorry. There's a time for repentance afterwards, but we won't talk about it. Just kidding. Um, but, you know, the new iPhone comes out, or some new Jordans come out, or some new, like, whatever it might be, we have this consumeristic mentality of wanting and desiring the newest thing 
We're like adrenaline junkies when it comes to having something new. And I'm not anti-new, right? I, I have an iPhone 8 Plus. I've got a, a truck that's a, only three years old. Like, there are things that I like, socks, hats, things like that, that I love to have them as new things. So I'm not, I'm not anti that, but what I am anti is allowing that mentality to shape us and mold us and the only lens in which we view things. Because then, then it starts to muddy how we view even church, right? Having this consumeristic mindset that comes in that doesn't allow us to be content even in a space like this. We've allowed experiences to, to, to shape how we even view coming into a service and to be able to place our trust in the Lord and say, man, that, that Sunday was good. I remember growing up in church, and some of you may have experienced this as well, but um, anybody go to church where like they get, uh, they go to camp, like summer camp, youth camp, things like that, right? And you go through those camps, and, and what would happen? You'd, you'd have a week full of these camps, and then you'd kind of be on this spiritual high for like the next couple of weeks, or maybe you'd go on like a mission trip, and you'd have this same thing, and you'd try to live off this spiritual high, this experience that you were chasing, but it would always, it'd always fade away. I've, I finally realized this, and I think my senior year of high school, that that church experience, or that camp high, I mean, it, it faded within like a week, and I was back to just doing my own sinful things. I thought that I could live off these highs of church camp to mission trip to winter camp to, to going to like some type of church conference, what, whatever it might be. We try to live off of these experiences, and then we try to place God into that bubble and say, well, I didn't receive this type of experience, so this Sunday must not have been good. Or that week must not have been great. Or maybe we can go as far as to say that God is, where's God? He must, be a, he must have abandoned me because I hadn't felt this experience and a long time. And so we allow this discontentment to come and alter our lens in which we're supposed to view church gatherings like this morning or community groups. And we start to put the experience of that spiritual high on a pedestal as if that's supposed to be the norm in which Sunday's supposed to look like or our week's supposed to look like, or are even down to our devotions and what they're supposed to look like, right? Like how, how often can we get caught up in when we're, reading, when we're reading scripture and it was just a, man, I, I read this truth about God and that's it. And then we walk away feeling like we didn't experience the Lord that morning because he didn't give us a word of revelation that morning because we've allowed this consumeristic mentality to alter our lens in which how we view what faithfulness looks like. So this first thing this morning that I want to help us combat is to rail against this Western mindset of consumerism. That contentment goes in the face of that consumeristic mindset. And being content in the Lord doesn't look like chasing those experiences, but trusting that God is good in and out of the storm, that God is good in the highs and in the lows. And I want to take you kind of to Paul's example of highs and lows real quick, because this is, has always astounded me. 
right? Paul is in prison writing this letter. And so history would tell us it's like 62 AD that he probably wrote this letter, which means that if his death was between 62 and 67, he wrote this letter close to his death, probably knowing that he was going to die soon. And yet, close to the end of his life, what does he say? I have learned the secret of contentment. But listen to this, because he he talks about highs and lows in this, and we get a glimpse through his other writings, either in this book or in other books that he's written to churches. But here's some of the lows that he walked through. Not only is he in prison, but 2 Corinthians 11 tells us this. I've had far greater imprisonments. I've had countless beatings. I've often been near death. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, robbers, danger from my own people, from the Gentiles, from the city, from the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil, in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's a pretty weighty low, right? That's a pretty serious low that, I mean, honestly, I, I hope I don't ask for that ministry. I don't desire that ministry for Paul, of Paul's. I don't think any of us in here would. So here's the lows that he gives. And then he takes us to the highs. If you flip over to um, chapter 3, just a couple pages back, you'll see in verse 4, this is what he has to say. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So he's given his roll call, right? This is who I am. This is how I grew up. If you think that you are a better Jew than I, you are not, is what he's saying. And so here's his high and here's the lows of life. And yet at the end of his life, what does he say? In the midst of all these things, I've learned to be content because as verse 13 says, I've learned contentment through Christ. It is Christ who gives me the strength to do all these things. And if you weren't aware of verse 13, it's not specifically for sports. I'm just going to throw that out there. The truth of what Paul's saying here in this verse is that in any and every circumstance, God is good. And I can trust him. I can put my faith in him. I can be content in him because I know that he is going to provide all that I need. And he, as he promised in the earlier chapter, is making me into the image of Christ. And what he has promised, he is faithful to complete. Thomas Watson, on this idea of divine contentment, wrote this, neither deficiencies nor disappointments loses, sorry, neither deficiencies nor disappointments, losses nor crosses can cause anxious discontentment in the heart where faith is the commander-in-chief. Paul saying, in any and every circumstance, when we are in Christ, we can have hope that he is good. 
and that he is enough. Can you see, when we talk about legacy formation, can you see how contentment needs to be a foundation for what we give to our children, what we give to this church? When we can show them contentment when the phone call comes and it's cancer, when a miscarriage comes, when someone loses their job, and not just in our own families, right? Again, we talk about the family of faith. When we can come and surround one another in situations and trials like that, and our kids see that, that foundation of legacies is created when we have this contentment. When our kids see this contentment, when we can say in the midst of tears, in the midst of crying, in the midst of mourning and loss, when we can say God is good and he's enough. So that's the first foundation that we have. So the question then becomes, how does this, how does this contentment, how is this contentment learned? The first thing I want to take a look at is found in chapter 3 is knowing whose you are. The first thing that has to come when we are trying to learn this contentment is knowing whose you are. That's, that, that's the most important thing I want you to hear this morning as believers in Christ. A couple weeks ago, we, I got to preach on this idea of knowing who you are defines, knowing whose you are defines who you are, right? And this is what Paul is talking about when it comes to learning contentment, is that he knows he can do all things in Christ who strengthens him, but he knows that he's in Christ, and that's why that strength has come. But if you jump over to verse 12 in chapter 3, Here's really where I think this truth hinges on. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And here's, here's the key, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see the beauty in that verse, that Christ has made Paul his own. Think about that for a second. What does it mean to be owned by something? What does it mean for us when Christ gives us that same truth? That we are his. And as one of the hymns that we sing on Sunday mornings, he is, he is ours. We are his and he is ours, bought by the blood of Christ. We are his and he has made us his own. And that's the truth that I want you to hear this morning as believers in Christ is that you are known and loved by God. When Christ has made you his own, it's, he's seen all of your faults, all of your failures. If he were to look, if we were to throw your, let's look at this like this. If we were to throw your, your thoughts or my thoughts up on this screen here, we, we don't want that, right? We don't want people to see those things. We don't want people to see the deep and dark secrets that we've walked through in our past. But Christ knows those things, and he still chooses you. He still loves you. He's still promising to make you into his image, and he's not going to let you go. You are his. Being known is a beautiful thing. Christmas reveals the, this idea even more, right? 
What happens when you receive a gift that you didn't think someone was going to give to you and they nail it? How do you feel? You feel loved. You feel known. You feel like that person has heard you and has been able to see you in your deepest, darkest desires and has been able to provide a tangible gift there. Christmas kind of reveals that, right? The funny thing is, Christmas also reveals the feeling of not being known. And so if you were to ever come to a Christmas table, like dinner with my family, this story always gets brought up. When I was younger, my parents took me outside, blindfolded me and my siblings, and kind of lined us up and gave us different toys they thought were going to be good. And I come up, it's my turn, I'm last. They take this blindfold off, and here's this beautiful red bike in front of me, and they've got this recorded, so I can never get away from it. But they, they bring this bike out, and my first words were, I wanted a skateboard. And I ran away, frustrated, probably crying, because I was a little punk. And what, is that, what does that reveal? Right, I loved that bike. I learned to ride that bike. I, I, I mean, it, it was my favorite after I got over myself. But what that revealed, my response revealed that I didn't think my parents knew me. I didn't think my parents heard me and knew me by giving me this bike. Of course they did, but at that moment, that's how I felt. And so Christmas can reveal these things, right? They can reveal the idea of being known and the feeling of not being known. But here, what Christ gives us, what, through Paul's writing, we see in Christ is that he knows us and he loves us despite us. That from the foundation of the earth, in the plan of salvation, God saw you, God saw me in your shame, in your sin, any time that you were gonna choose this world over him and said, no, I still want them in my family. I'm going to choose them. I'm going to die for them in order to bring them in. That's the beauty that we have here. So contentment starts with knowing whose you are. The second thing that contentment brings, or the way that we learn contentment is this, that as believers in Christ, we embrace the ordinary, but we pray for the extraordinary. Right, that we embrace the ordinary normalness of life, but in that normalness, we are pleading with the Lord we are hounding the gates of heaven for him to do the miraculous. I'm going to tell you this, and uh, Matt Chandler kind of has labeled these two things, presence and prayer. And so we, we have a presence, a faithful presence as believers. We're faithful in prayer. And so I want to break those two things down for you um, in this way. So presence, Right? And, and, and I'm going to try to put this as easy as possible to try to take some weight off of your shoulders when it comes to this idea of living out the ordinary. The greatest works in your life are going to happen over decades through ordinary, everyday faithfulness. Some of the more beautiful works of God in your life will not be instantaneous or flashy. They won't have a lot of fireworks. They'll be everyday, slow, ordinary, faithful steps. This is what I mean by living out the normal, embracing the ordinary, 
understanding that our faithfulness, as Jen Wilkins puts, is like a savings account, right? We know how savings accounts work, right? That when we start to put money in and we keep putting money in and depositing these, as we would call deposits of faith, that they begin to compound on each other, right? Even if it's a small percentage, that small percentage is ultimately going to compound as it grows down the road. So that in 10, 20, 30 years, those deposits of faith bring out a fruit of faithfulness. And that's what, that's what we're talking about when it comes to legacy, right? Putting those deposits of faith by ordinary, normal, slow, faithful steps. And sure, right now, and this is, this is what I would say, even the consumeristic mindset blurs our lens, right now, we don't see how coming to church on a Sunday morning is depositing those faithful steps. We don't, we don't see that now, right? But 20, 30 years down the road, this coming here, gathering as brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping the Lord, getting up every single day, getting into our word, understanding that even in those mornings where we don't feel like fireworks are happening, God is still working in those times. Those moments are going to compound on each other so that decades down the road, we can see that faithfulness. We can see that fruit. So what do we do as believers in this ordinary? Well, we have a faithful presence at work. We have a faithful presence at home. It means we love our spouses. We love our community. We love our families. We sacrifice for our family's growth. Right? That's a part of it. And we sacrifice for righteous things, right? Not for unhealthy things, but we sacrifice for righteous things. We work hard at our jobs, and we prepare for the future. We teach our kids finance, financial, what do you want to say, Dave Ramsey, financial freedom? We teach them how to work their bank accounts, how to save. I mean, we show them the value of hard work. These faithful things every single day are what's going to bruise that legacy that I'm talking about. Let's be honest. It's not going to be easy. It's not always easy. Yet by faithfully serving over a long period of time, you will wake up one day at 60, at 70, and you're surrounded by this fruit of faithfulness. Everyday presence, pursuing the Lord, being faithful to your family, being faithful to your community will produce that fruit. I promise you. And the next thing that we talk about, not just presence, but prayer. You see, I'm, I'm the type that could leave that, that first point and, and that'd be it, right? I'm that type that's like, all right, let's just be faithful. Let's just work on the ordinary We'll focus on our family, we'll focus on our church, and I'll just leave it at that. But also want to un I want us to understand that prayer is a huge, important thing for us as believers, a part of being faithful. So what I'm, what I'm hoping for 2019 and what I'm hoping to start laying the foundation for for the rest of my life is that I would be praying for the extraordinary that we as a church would be people marked by ordinary life, but by pleading with the Lord for the extraordinary. When you, 
when we walk through Scripture, right, when we start to see the things that Christ is doing in his ministry, healing people, saving people, uh, raising people from the dead, it's interesting that the disciples don't ask him, how are you doing those things? But what they ask him is, how do you pray like you do? Teach us to pray like you do, because they see the power that comes from prayer. Tapping into the power of what the Holy Spirit brings. And so I want to be a people marked by that prayer. Marked by pleading for the extraordinary to happen. And look, if you have things that you're praying for in the extraordinary that you don't think will ever happen, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Whether it's siblings coming home or coming to know the Lord, whether it's wayward family members, relationships that are broken, sickness that needs to be healed, we, we want to come around you. I want to be able to come around you and plead with the Lord for these things. And I want our church to be marked by pleading for these things to happen and trusting the Lord that he can and do these things. And while we wait, we wait with faithfulness. We embrace the ordinary when it doesn't take, when it takes a while before he does answer these prayers. But I want this community to be marked by those two things, that we would embrace the ordinary life and that we would plead for the extraordinary to happen. What would it look like if we're pleading for the extraordinary to happen in this city and God does what he's done in the New Testament and changes it? That Indianapolis would be marked by the gospel, that your workplace would be marked by the gospel, that your schools would be marked by the gospel. What would that look like? What would that look like if you took those challenges on where you got down on your face every single morning and pleaded for the Lord to change where you are? This is what I'm talking about when we're pleading for the extraordinary to happen. And this is how we become legacy builders. By faithfully pursuing the Lord in prayer and living out an ordinary life. So I'm going to go ahead and close with this. Um, because I believe that I believe that your life is going to look different than mine. I, I don't want to give you any type of list, because that's what I want. If someone was preaching this sermon, I'd be like, give me a list on how to do this. <laughs> and I don't want to give you that, so I'm sorry. But I want you to be able to go before the Lord and ask him to work these areas in your life. And I would challenge you to, to find, as John Calvin would say, find rules of life that help you establish these rhythms in your everyday schedule. So I'll, I'll give you, let me, I'll peel back some layers for me and, and kind of share how that works for me and maybe this will ring some bells. So I've tried to create rhythms within my life um, and within my schedule that help me abide and remain in the Lord. And so what that looks like is I do get up in the morning, I read the word of God before work, um, I journal and I try to read some type of proverb in the morning. That's that works for me. I don't have kids. I have a dog and I send them outside. I don't have to worry about kids fighting down the, that time. But then when I get in my car and I, I, I go to work, 
I either put on a podcast that's going to stir my affections for the Lord, or I pray, and I pray for the time that I'm there and the people that I'm working with. And then after work, I, I typically go and work out, because for me, that is spiritually uplifting uh, to get that stress of the workday off of my back. Uh, but it also involves community. So I've made uh, an intentional part of my life to, to be in a gym that has a community sense or community feeling so that they can be involved in my life and I can be involved in theirs. And then I go home, and typically I'm praying or, again, listening to a podcast as I go home, trying to stir my affections for the Lord um, and then at night, before I go to bed, I try to read about five psalms each night that correlate with the, that day, right? So starting the first day of the, the month, right, one through five, and then follow that pattern. I'm not perfect at it, um, but it's something that helps stir my affections. It's, it's a part of my schedule and routine. Um, and then at the end of that, I, I pray for every single one of you guys in here individually and corporately, that God would be glorified in your lives and in this church. Um, and then I try to go to bed. That doesn't always happen either. But So that's just kind of peeling back what that looks like for me. And I don't know, again, your schedule is going to look different than mine. My schedule is going to look different than yours. Right? I, I think about Tim and Alyssa with their five kids. Like They're not going to be able to follow that schedule. right? <laughs> Anybody that has kids in here... You can say yes and amen. We're not going to be able to follow that schedule. But what I want to challenge you with is to create rhythms within your schedules that help you abide, that help you remain in Christ, and help you to understand that even those small percentages of time in which you're devoting to the Lord will compound on each other. And they will help you as you look towards years and years and decades down in the future when you pursue that faithfulness. G.K. Chesterton says this about learning to live in the sacred space of everyday life. He says, the most extraordinary thing in the world is an ordinary man and his ordinary wife and their ordinary children. There's glory in the ordinary. And so that's what I, I, I want you guys to, to look at when it comes to this idea of contentment and this idea of creating a legacy of who you want to be. God does not require us to be spiritual superheroes, guys. He just calls us to be faithful. And so this is what building legacies for our lives and our families and our churches look like. And I know it's hard to see right now, but I promise you the fruit of faithfulness will show in 20, 30, 40 years when your kids are loving the Lord, when your workplace knows who you are and, and has this sense of belonging. As believers in Christ, we, we strive for that faithful presence, enjoying the ordinary, being faithful husbands, faithful wives, loving our children, working hard at work, belonging to a community of faith, and faithfully serving those around us. It's slow. It's exhausting. It's faithful, ordinary work in our life, in our life every day, over and over and over and over and over again for days and years and decades to come. And then simultaneously, during this time, we are pleading with the Lord to do the miraculous, pleading with him to, to change, to heal, to save. 
So I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to close in communion. Um, and as we do, this is what I want to leave us with this morning. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. And one of the ways that we proclaim these excellencies is by taking communion, right? By remembering what Christ has done for us every week. Remembering that God has chose us and brought us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. And we celebrate in this communion together, seeing the examples of Christ's body being broken for us and his blood being shed for us, covering our sins, covering our shame, covering our faults, so that when God looks upon us, he doesn't see who we once were, but he sees his son, his daughter, in whom he is well pleased. And this is what we get to celebrate this morning. What Christ has done for us, living that life we could never live, dying a death we so rightly deserve, and raising from the grave, sealing our adoption as sons and daughters in the family of God. And so that's what we celebrate in communion each week. And so I would ask for you guys, if, if there is a moment that you guys need to take to reflect, do it. Reflect on what's being taught about. Reflect on being Christ's own. Reflect on what it means to be a legacy creator, what it means to be a faithful servant of God. Take that time. There's time that you need to repent of sin that the Holy Spirit's placed on you. Go ahead and do it. If there's relationships within your life that need to be reconciled, hold off on communion and go reconcile before you come and take it. But guys, I want us to celebrate this new year. I want us to celebrate what Christ has done. I want us to look towards the future and creating a foundation of faithful, ordinary lives that plead for the extraordinary in your life and in this church. So let's take some time to reflect on that and then let's celebrate in communion and what Christ has done. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at